Hello, welcome to Goblet of Wine, a drunken Harry Potter podcast. I'm Hannah. And I'm Charlie, and we're two 20-somethings rereading our favourite childhood book, this time with added alcohol and cynicism. In today's episode, we're reading chapter two of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. So grab a glass of your favourite alcoholic beverage and listen along for this drunken, reminiscent journey. Hello. Hello. I'm still not ready. <laughs> it's really weird. So we're back recording in the lounge we used to record in. Yeah. And I cannot work out how I used to sit. <laughs> I don't know. But also you're immediately doing the thing where you just stare at me lovingly instead of speaking into your mic. So the beginning of this episode is going to be a little bit different from normal. And that's because this episode is going to be dedicated to one of our listeners and patrons, Abby. Sadly, on the 12th of March, Abby was involved in a car accident where she tragically lost her life. Her best friend reached out to us and after after speaking to her, we decided to dedicate this episode to Abby. We'd really like to take a few minutes to tell you about this wonderful woman and we hope you all enjoy hearing about a fellow podcast listener, Abby. She was so very pro-choice and loved animals, specifically orphans of the Storm Animal Shelter in Illinois. We asked her best friend to share some specifically Harry Potter memories with us and she told us that Abby's favourite character was Luna Lovegood and that she even named her cat Luna. And Carolyn said that hearing us to discuss Luna last Monday, so this was in one of our previous episodes, when the news was still so fresh, felt like a sign to her. According to Carolyn, she loved mimosas and they had an annual mummy wrapping party for Christmas this year and polished off a giant bottle of champagne and two gallons of orange pineapple juice. Ah, so we They sound got, like our kind of people. They do, and for Abby, we have decided to drink mimosas today, so cheers. She was the most true Hufflepuff and very proud to be one. She was incredibly kind. Everyone loved her and gravitated to her. She was the most loyal friend, always wanting what was best for everyone and wanting justice and equality. Carolyn's favourite Harry Potter memory is sitting in the car with her after they saw Fantastic Beasts, Crimes of Grindelwald and trying to make it make sense <laughs> and make the math work. They were looking forward to seeing Secrets of Dumbledore. It was going to be Carolyn's first time in a movie theatre since COVID and Abby convinced her that it would be safe. Abby and Carolyn both had kids and they were going to take their kids to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter when Carolyn's got a bit older and then go to New York to the Harry Potter store. And they even spoke about going to LeakyCon together. When the Harry Potter exhibit was at the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago, Abby walked from the train station to the museum several miles while nine months pregnant to go and see it. Abby is remembered by her 12-year-old son, Christopher. There will be a link to the GoFundMe in the description where money is being raised for his education. So yeah, I hope you'll all take a moment to remember a really wonderful podcast listener and patron of this podcast, Abby, who we're so happy and grateful that she got to be a part of this community and all our love and sympathies go out to her family in this yeah. really difficult time yeah we were both so gutted to hear about this and it's a weird thing because obviously we didn't know her and lots of people die every single day but it's really truly horrific to hear especially when it's someone that you're kind of connected to someone that listens to you and and someone that's remembered by so many people um it's just it's truly heartbreaking yeah. is what i'm trying to say yeah um, it, it really it really is like someone who who we know tuned into the podcast every two weeks and carolyn her friend has told us how much she looked forward to our episodes coming out and how she would text carolyn what we were talking about so it's it's, yeah. it's it's very 
difficult and it's obviously incredibly difficult for her family and friends but we're so glad that Carolyn was able to share especially some of these Harry Potter memories yeah with us because we know a lot of you will relate to them and we really related to them like the crimes of Grindelwald story made me think when we went to the premiere (laughs) thing that we went to and afterwards we were just like what the fuck was that yeah (laughs) yeah so this episode is dedicated to Abby and all of our love goes out to Carolyn we hope that if it feels futile but we hope that you're okay yeah Thank you so much. Okay, we have uh, one more quick note before this episode kicks off. A confession. A confession. Of sorts. (laughs) Um, We chose chaos. We have to apologise to every sweet, lovely person that has tweeted, emailed, messaged. um, Got very angry on the Discord. About the fact that we claimed that our copies of the books said that the Muggle Prime Minister had a call with Diana. And I can hear through the time-space continuum so many people screaming at us right now. Um, we, we, We were texting. And I don't know how it came up, but we decided it'd be... No, I know how it came up. I was making up random bollocks for some reason because I, 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 I was being a knob <laughs> I I was just like I don't know we were talking about Harry Potter and I just kept talking about things that actually just weren't real yeah and then hang on do you want me to play the actual voice notes because I can it wasn't real <laughs> we didn't misread it we didn't get really drunk we just decided to play a trick on you Literally, I was going to say, you know what we actually should do sometime? Not something that obvious like Hermione with a Glock, but we should just make something up. Like, when we're just going through the chapter and just be like, oh, and then this happened, and something that's, like, not so weird, it's unbelievable, but, like, weird enough while still being plausible and just, like, fully just pretend it happened in the chapter just to see how many people we could, like... Tweet us quite a lot. Just like, did that happen? Like, or oh, that didn't happen? Like, just to really confuse people. That's a really good idea. I just looked up whether we have an episode coming out on April Fools, and we don't. And obviously, that would be rare that we do because we only release episodes every two weeks. But that would be such a funny thing to do if we had an episode coming out on April Fools, but also just generally, that would be really funny. Because we talk through the chapters in such detail and people so it's like, oh, I forget that happened. <laughs> yes, let's do it. Anyway, so after that, my original suggestion was to have a framed picture of Margaret Thatcher on his desk. But then we settled on a mention of I, Diana. Yeah, I think the text I sent just said the word Diana and then we worked it into the phone yeah. call. Um, we chose chaos. Gen- I thought that maybe, like, one or two people would notice. I didn't think we'd cause what the Discord are calling Diana Gate. Gate. And and we have merch requests for Diana Gate. Yeah. Um, People were doing research. They were texting relatives to see copies of their books. Like, people were losing their shit over it. And I felt so bad. I didn't. But also... Okay, I felt really bad until after we did the reveal on Discord and then people started to be like, this was a good prank because it was low stakes, which I do agree with because I I hate pranks in general. Yeah. Because a lot of the time they're like, just not funny because they're too 
serious. Yeah. So I do agree that this was just dumb and harmless. Yeah. And I, I think we found the perfect level, especially because Diana is just, you know, forever in all our thoughts hearts. and memories, hearts and minds. Yeah. Um, if you didn't notice it, then that's your fault and you're not listening closely enough. Yeah. You clearly have not memorised all of Harry Potter. How dare you? Or you're just listening to us in the background or while you sleep. So yep. concentrate more in case we play pranks on you. Yeah. Pranked. We are the the modern day Fred and George Weasley. Look at us. Yes. We are comedic geniuses. Um, we really hope that other people found this funny. Because before we actually did it, we were talking about it, just like we were cracking up and we're like, what if no one else finds this funny? We, I think I got so much more enjoyment out of us prepping to do it than than us us doing it. But yeah, when people were literally demanding we show photos of our books and we both had to make up excuses of why we couldn't photograph our books. Yes. Yeah, I was like, uh, my ex has mine. And they're like, don't you listen to the audio (laughs) book? And I was like, uh, I'm at my parents. They were like, that's early for Easter. And I was like, yeah, I just really love my parents. I'm just here now. I didn't take my book. Can Neil take a photo? No, he's at a gig. Bye. <laughs> to be fair, he was he at was a, gig. a gig. I didn't lie about that one. Um, Yeah, Diana does not feature in any of the seven books. Or does she? Dun, dun, dun. Anyway, on with yeah. the rest of the, this episode. <laughs> so a lot of you guys pointed out how many times we mm. switched around Dumbledore and Voldemort at the end Although, of season five. Hannah's done some beautiful retconning here because when she was texting <laughs> me about it, when she was editing the episode that we did it in loads, she was like, oh, I definitely say it more. I'm saying it all the time. Oh my God, I'm saying it so much. And then like when we came to... so. We should have done the shots last episode, but for context, I was feeling really, really ill. And so we decided not to, to save it for when it would be funnier for this episode. But yeah, when it came to doing the shots, Hannah was like, oh yeah, so we're going to do like four each or so, three each. And I was like, each? You said that you did it Okay, way but more. I asked the patrons and they said, we haven't been doing the shots for ages. And I did it massively in one episode loads of times, but you have been doing it more consistently in other episodes. I don't believe that, but I do believe that I did lots was Order and the Phoenix. <laughs> Order and the but Phoenix. But we never said a shot for that. But unfortunately, <laughs> what we also said a shot for was we said we'd take a shot every time a major character dies. As someone pointed out, we didn't do a drink for Sirius. So that leaves us with four shots each. And we've decided, no. <laughs> we've decided we're going to do two this episode mm-hmm. and two the next episode it is a wednesday it is a wednesday after all we're we're doing two at the beginning of this episode (laughs) we both have to work tomorrow that's hilarious (laughs) what is this just rum just white rum just just paint stripper basically nice it is in like the classic budget alcohol bottle yep i think we bought this to mix with something else cheers cheers oh it's not that bad uh oh the aftertasters oh I hate shots. Right. Chapter two, Spinner's End. Ooh, I'm J.K. Rowling. I've done two non-Harry Potter chapters at the beginning of my Harry Potter book. I had never thought about this chapter in much detail. Stop making faces. <laughs> no, it's it's still hitting me. It's burning. Burning. I knew how much I loved the Prime Minister chapter as an adult. But Spinner's End is one I'd never given much thought to. I'd mm. always been like, it's not that long. Like, oh, it's from... I kept thinking it was from Snape's perspective, and it's not. It's from Narcissus. Yeah. And I was reading this and I was like, the amount of hints and foreshadowings Mm. that I was literally like, I want to text Charlie. I can't, I've just got to write it down and wait to talk to her about it. Like, this chapter's incredible. Yeah. I don't know. Oh. Like, yeah, there is a lot 
of like hints and stuff but i feel like it's a chapter that's like only hints and stuff like there, mm. there's a novelty coolness that it's from the perspective of two really unlikely characters mm-hmm. or like i guess kind of three um that's like novelty cool yeah there's a lot of but it feels like if chamber of secrets was a chapter <laughs> in that it's still good but like i i don't know the thing is it's necessary to exist and i wonder yeah. when she wrote this in and i highly suspect it was at the end of the book mm. and she added it in because if you read the book without this chapter you would be far too blindsided by snape at the end and you wouldn't suspect Malfoy enough. Like, I kind of feel like she wrote the whole book and went, mm, yeah, mm. yeah. Or her editor did. Yeah, and it was a um, suggestion. I do think that it's like, it's quite, it's one of those nice things where on your second reread, you're like, oh my God. Like at the start of the book, Snape promises to kill Dumbledore. You're like, that's it was written from that moment and then it's the double cross of that and then when you get to book seven the triple cross of that moment yeah yeah that that is good so yeah it's good in that respect but i just feel like if this was just a chapter and everything that was said and it was meaningless in terms of the future of the book if that makes sense like it's only good because of the amount of foreshadowing yeah 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 but i just never i'd never i don't know why I'd just never given this chapter that much thought. Yeah. I was just like, I think because there's two non-Harry chapters at the beginning of this book, I've just been like, oh, the other yeah. one. Yeah, I mean, well, I will say I love it because it's not about Harry. I also love that it intros with the mist that was pressing against the Prime Minister's window was hanging over the river. Oh, I'm going to connect my two chapters. Whoa. Very fancy literature device. I literally wrote much literature, JK. Very literature. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if it's prothetic no R. Fallacy. Pathetic. It pathetic. is literally pathetic. Yeah. The word fallacy. pathetic. Fallacy. Yeah. So two figures apparate onto some grass by an old gross riverbank. And uh, the second one that appears murders a fox. And this upset me because you know how much I love foxes. I love foxes. We all love foxes. Did but you like- see those pictures on Twitter of the black fox? Yes. I was like, that's a dog. That's I, not a fucking fox. I literally was about to bring out the black fox. And then I was like, she won't have seen that. Of course I've seen it. How much do I love foxes? I made a TikTok about foxes. I know, but like you also like don't use the internet. No, I don't use Twitter that much. Yeah. I check it once a day and then it depresses me and then I exit out of it together. I think you need to fix who you follow. The casualness that the killing curse is thrown around, it's literally like movement, Avada Kedavra. Like immediately you know you're going in with the baddies. Like this isn't someone good. Like yeah. They're just throwing the murder curse around. Turns out Narcissa and Bellatrix. And I realised that we learn their sisters in mm-hmm. book five when Sirius goes through that family tree. But like it's phrased in a way where you don't really like acknowledge it that much. This yeah. chapter really confirms that they're sisters in a way that makes you think, oh my God, yeah, these two grew up together as children. I don't know. It really made me, before this, I was kind of like, yeah, they're related in the same way that Sirius and Bellatrix are related. But here they're sisters, you yeah. know? But it also establishes Narcissa as a character because at this point yes. she's only been like referred to like there was that one bit when they were following Draco. That's, and... That hasn't happened yet. Oh God. So there wasn't even that. God, I really know my Harry Potter books. Yeah. I said she's the least important Malfoy. So yeah. to have a, ca- a chapter set from her perspective is really cool. Yeah. I I really like how one of our reasons for starting this podcast was because we got sick of other podcasts that barely knew Harry Potter. And we were like, oh my God, people are running these Harry Potter podcasts and they don't even remember the slightest details. And then I'm like, I don't know anything. 
I just, but this is my memory. It's not because I haven't read it a thousand times. I literally have. Well, it's the thing is, the more you read it, the more you do get confused about the order because mm. you've read it so much that you no it longer know where anything one. happens. Yeah, and because I like, especially now, because I like read and listen to it so much, it makes it hard to distinguish yeah. what we have and haven't spoken about. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but yeah, at this point, she's just been, refer- like, we know she's Draco's mum and that's it. That's and then it. suddenly it's like, boom, she's a real character, which is really fucking convenient then later on in the seventh book. Well, yeah, but it's great setup for Yeah, that. no, it is, for but, sure. Yeah. I found, <laughs> I'm swinging right back to season one, episode one, Hannah, and I'm talking about the narrator. The narrator is less knowledgeable in this chapter than any other Harry Potter chapter. We are not hearing Narcissa's thoughts in the same way that we have access to Harry's thoughts. And that is completely intentional because if we had access to Narcissa's thoughts we would know what the plot of book seven is. So the narrator is a lot less knowledgeable. Both women, when they appear, are referred to as the woman. So the narrator only learns information when characters verbally reveal it. And even a lot of the time, it's like Bellatrix keeps calling her like Sissa. Yeah. So you kind of have to connect some dots there. Yeah, exactly. And then it's like him, him that Dumbledore trusts, him that the Dark Lords trust. So your mind is constantly going, wait, who's the him? There's so many hymns. Oh yeah. my God. Like, it's really weird to read because I'm so used to the narration style of Harry Potter, this third person limited narration or whatever we call it. It's really weird to read a chapter from a different... And what I'm wondering is, is the Snape chapter in book seven the same style of narration? I can't remember. It might be. Mm. Because when we read that Snape chapter, we don't know he was on the good side all along. So it might be in the same style. Bella believes the Dark Lord is mistaken in trusting him, which is Snape, which is interesting as she is so devoted to the Dark Lord. Like the main crux of Bella's character is like this devotion to the Dark Lord. Like she believes she's a simp. She's a simp. And yet she disagrees with him on this thing, which I find really interesting because she's right. And like she saw through Snape. Yeah. She saw something Voldemort didn't. But does she? Or is she jealous? Well, that is the other theory, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Because she is massively jealous. In yeah, because I, I kind of feel like she's jealous because Snape then goes, like, I don't know. We can debate how intelligent Bellatrix is. But, like, Snape then goes on to make some really fucking good arguments. Oh, yeah. But really flawed ones. And we can talk about it a bit later on when we go through the points that he says, but... She doesn't have the intelligence to... She's not thought ahead to think what his arguments are, which means she also hasn't and doesn't think ahead to think how to combat those arguments because his arguments have giant holes. Oh, yeah. I mean, they have to because it's a fake argument, you know? So she doesn't think enough. So it's not like she's actually suspicious of him for, like, legitimate reasons. I think she's just jealous yeah i can also see why she's suspicious of him because her the crux of her belief in voldemort is this i've sacrificed myself i went to azkaban so that jealousy also comes from the fact that she is extremely annoyed that there are these people existing lucius and snape who had the protection of the good side while she rotted azkaban yeah so there's that as well so they're on some muggle street which is basically the book is describing as a bit of a shithole um it's now this sounds really mean when i say it back to back it's clearly north because of the way <laughs> is it 
Yeah, because of the factory they're describing. And then they're describing the corridor. <laughs> oh, I can't believe Anna's like, it's a shithole, so it must be up north. <laughs> no, and then they're, they're, she's clearly describing the Coronation Street style houses. Like, whenever I read this chapter, I'm seeing the Victorian terraces, rows yeah. and rows of them, Coronation Street style. Yeah. The thing is, I did briefly think, like, why does Snape, Snape live? live here? This yeah, is my and, next uh, No, We can kind of assume that... This is his parents' house? Yeah. because that... it doesn't describe Lily as living in a shithole. But but also what we know about England is that you can have shitholes two streets away from like fucking mansions. This you know? is a very good point. But also we don't ever like really hear enough about Lily because she's a woman, so ugh, we don't care. And maybe she did grow up in a maybe shithole. Maybe she did grow up in a shithole, and we we mean that lovingly. But also, like yeah, so we can pretty much assume probably that this is his like parents' place. That's what I have assumed. Yeah. But also, why would he live anywhere else when he's living at Hogwarts? 90% of the year. Well, this was the thing. So I picked up on the line, um, the house is small and it has a feel of neglect. And I was basically questioning, is this his forever home? It's his parents' house and it has a feel of neglect because he's barely ever here. Mm. Or is this some sort of safe house that he is just using this summer the same way that Slughorn is swapping houses around? The reason why I don't think this is true is because there's a secret door hidden inside a bookcase that feels very wizard. Yeah. So yeah, he basically barely ever spends any time there, but then it's really weird. And I know part of this is the hangover of imagining teachers in situations that aren't within the school. Like, you know, when you were a kid and you used to think the teacher slept in the school. I'm like, yeah. what was Snape doing in the normal holidays? He would just sit here and read his little books. Like, ew. <laughs> he would wank over drawings of Lily. I mean, what a sad little life to still be living in the What a sad house. little life, Snape. Snape. <laughs> Why would you not move? Why would you not move? You're being paid a good wage at Hogwarts, I can assume. I mean, we don't know that. But also, I, I don't know. Like, I guess when you're literally just there for holidays and even then you could probably stay at Hogwarts. No, like, he likes to be a miserable little bastard. I do feel like he's one of those people. One, he's probably punishing himself. Yes. But also, yeah, I think he's one of those people that kind of likes to be miserable. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I do think there's a certain... Um, what's what's the phrase? Self... Oh, yeah. Self-flagellation. Self-flagellation, Yeah. <laughs> I have fucked up my life. Yeah. I betrayed Lily, so I deserve to live in this shithole and never move. Yeah. So Wormtail has fallen from his post as the Dark Lord's right-hand band, kind of because he had no one else, to being Snape's servant, kept in like an upstairs bedroom. Although I spent my whole life thinking it was a basement and only realized at one point when it said he scurried back upstairs that I had got it wrong. In a hidden door. Yeah. He's literally Snape's slave. So I had a theory about this. What if Voldemort has placed him there to not, like, spy on Snape? Because Voldemort knows that Wormtail isn't smart enough for that. But to make sure that Snape, like, can't or isn't doing anything for the good side too much. Like, obviously, Voldemort has him as a double agent, but, like, basically to check up on him. And so, like, Snape is aware that Voldemort is always watching. Mm. I think the same thing, but different. I think that he could be there as a very intentional spy. Because I think... But Vol Voldemort doesn't trust Wormtail. We don't know that. Mm. I know. I have always said Wormtail, in order to fool everyone and to do what he did... Yeah. He's very smart. Yeah. He's very brave. Yeah. Like he fooled so many people. 
like literally what he did like i don't i just think i think that the brilliance of wormtail is convincing people that he's harmless yeah and i'm trying to remember there's a pop culture reference i want to make but But i can't remember what it is but there's there's some villain in something that makes a speech basically about how like the best thing you can do is to convince people that you're like a bumbling idiot, like a complete buffoon. Oh, um, what I'm thinking of- oh Boris Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I'm thinking of right now is the quote from the Gate Great Gatsby. I hope she'll be a beautiful fool. No, not that. But but there is something. This is going to irritate me. But there there a hundred percent is something where someone kind of reveals themselves that they've been the villain all along. And, yeah, and basically talking about like weaponizing, like being perceived as like an idiot. Yeah, and I really genuinely, I I believe this not necessarily in terms of I believe that this was what J.K. Rowling was writing. Yeah, but you know I think we can disregard what she was writing. But I think that it, I think that it's the much more interesting reading of the character where he essentially has crafted his. His personal brand as this like bumbling useless useless cowardice idiot to the point where even and yes obviously he has to be brave to do all that he he did yeah but where you know he's one of the only death eater supporters that got sorted into gryffindor that's how strong his like personal branding is to even like i guess deceive the hat or whatever not that i mean obviously that entire system is flawed but i love the reading of him as this like evil genius that has branded himself so well that he completely evades suspicion so that he can be in snape's house acting as a spy and snape would never remotely suspect it well here's the thing like the part of me that's making me believe that and also disagree with you on the fact that J.K. Rowling didn't intend that is that it's so unnecessary that Wormtail is here Mm. it's so why is he here there's no point to him being in this chapter yeah I think the only thing I would say just to argue against myself (laughs) is how we do see scenes where it is only Voldemort and Wormtail or you know also Harry where Voldemort's treating him the same you know, kind of disregarding him. But then he does with most his followers, really, to be honest. So I don't know. But I think it's a more interesting reading of the character to say, okay, actually, maybe Voldemort knew that this is his strength. And then that's why he placed him with Snape, perhaps. Perhaps, yeah. I just found it so interesting that he's even bothered to be written into this. Yeah. I mean, what what I find interesting, I don't know. We've talked at length about the whole, uh, how the whole, Legimency. How do you say it? Legilimency. Le- Legilimency. No, I don't know. I don't how know all me. of that works because it's like I swear there's like a I swear I can't remember how it's implied now, but I swear that it is kind of implied that when you're blocking it, that there's just kind of like a nothingness that you like. No, you have to fill it with fake memories if you're good. If you're good. Yeah, if you're good. But then I swear that it's kind of like implied at some point that. It's that you just can't, like, see certain things. Mm. But, yeah, because I've always wondered. Because it's like, Snape fools Voldemort, but surely it does have to be that you replace it with other memories. Because otherwise, like, if Voldemort was like, oh, I'm going to read Snape's memory now. And then it was just like, (laughs) no, you don't. Or just like, just like the monkey going, hang on. The monkey with the... No, no, Snape like, is filling it with Snape Yeah, like, but I, I swear to God that there's a bit in the book that, like, kind of implies that it's more that you you just can't. It's like a... 
I don't remember that. Brain reading cock block. <laughs> kind of back to that wormtail thing. And the only reason why I can see that he is in this chapter and why he is important is so Bella and Narcissa go in. Snape pours them wine. Uh, well, no, Snape doesn't pour them wine. He makes Wormtail pour them wine and then sends Wormtail away. Narcissa starts talking and then Snape says, hold on and fires a spell behind the door because Wormtail is listening mm. and sends him back upstairs. And Snape says, sorry, he's gained a horrible habit of listening at doors. And this is not important to the plot. And at first I was like, why is this in here? Because I kind of read it and was like, Oh my God, it would be so cool if plot lies, there was something that came back that that tiny bit of the conversation that was overheard became important because it was fed back to Voldemort or fed back to someone. And it isn't plot important. Mm. But what it does do is it's incredible mirroring and foreshadowing of Snape listening at the door to hear the prophecy. Like we kind of learned that someone did at the end of book five. We learned that it was partly overheard. We learned at the end of book six that it was Snape. And this is just in the middle like, ha ha ha. Like it's incredible mirroring and foreshadowing. Yeah, It's also... Why would... Okay, I'm just going back to arguing for Wormtail being a spy. Why would Voldemort at this point be treating Wormtail as, like, useless garbage as he is when he was the entire person that brought him back? Because Voldemort believes, according to things he said at the end of book four, that he did it out of cowardice. That never makes any sense. Uh, That doesn't make... And I'm sure that this is a flaw in J.K. Rowling's writing not an actual intelligent plot point because it's JK Rowling. But like, that makes no sense. Cowardice would be to hide. Like, why would you bring him back? That's not the coward thing to do. Like, I believe that he was a devoted supporter that was just branding him in the same way that Boris Johnson brands himself and that he bought him back because that's what he wanted. In which case, like, Voldemort should have been like, hey, you're like the one person that came back to me, aside from Barty Crouch Jr., obviously. You're like the one person that did this made this possible i'm gonna reward you above everyone else but instead he's snape's slave yeah it doesn't make sense doesn't. And I'm, I'm sure that in reality this was jk rowling being uh let's face it questionable writer in many respects she's i do think she's brilliant in mm. some ways but she's like not a very well-rounded writer yeah and an awful person yeah obviously but like yeah she's like she's got her strengths with the writing but there's also like giant gaps in her writing ability and it's is these kind of things. But yeah, because that doesn't make sense. Oh, he was such a coward that he did all those really brave things to bring me back, potentially putting himself in jeopardy. Doesn't make sense. No, no, it, it no, it doesn't. So he's sent away. And Bellatrix then has an outburst, like is going on a rant. And we learn, dun, 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 that Snape is on the dark side. Apart from we don't learn that. Because we learn at the end of book four that he is a spy. In the good side, spying on the bad side. But then the way he then explains himself for the rest Mm -hmm. of the chapter, this chapter is in here, so the reader no longer knows whether he is a spy or a double agent. Yeah. like, Like, it makes you question whether he's spying on Dumbledore or spying on Voldemort. And it's completely, like, it's written in a way where you're like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, which is really smart. But then it also, like, it gets frustrating when it's the whole, this whole thing is because Bella doesn't trust him and needs convincing. 
And you're just like, okay, yeah, like, I understand that this is to serve the purpose of, like, confusing the audience. But it's just, like, from Bella's point of view, she's just like, yeah, okay. When it's, like, glaringly obvious that there's, like, massive holes. But I think she doesn't fully believe him until he does the... Mm. what's it called unbreakable vow and that is what convinces her because how if he was on the good side could he kill dumbledore and this is where literally this setup is one of the cleverest setups in all the books like it's incredible it is absolutely genius um like the double triple crossing i remember as a child just being like what the fuck is happening yeah because yeah this way that he I mean, we'll talk about it in the other chapter, but he both promises Dumbledore and promises Narcissa in front of Bellatrix, but he's already discussed it. Mind blown. Like, it's it's amazing. Yeah. But yeah. I think that is what gets Bellatrix to trust him. Yeah. It's like, it's so smart. Like, I know we have mixed feelings on Dumbledore's character, but it's so smart for Dumbledore's character as well oh, to be God. like, okay. He is uh, truly playing 3D chess. <laughs> yeah, like he he knows what's going to happen and he's like, you're going to be asked to kill me. So like, uh, will you, will you kill will me? You? I don't want to <laughs> die slowly. <laughs> yeah. I love that Snape calls the Dark Lord the world's most accomplished legilimens because no one can fool him when Snape knows he's fooling him and therefore he's the world's most accomplished legilimens. I'm like, like little, little, bit of a... little pat on the back for yourself there, Snapey boy. Yeah. I love it. I love it because he starts to fucking gaslight them. He's like, as if I <laughs> could trick Voldemort. Me, little old me. me? Trick the greatest legitimans in the world. Oh. It's so good. Snape truly gaslight girl boss gatekeepers. So, but yeah, Bellatrix basically like raises like three points and Snape's like does a James Charles return video of being like, here is my replies to those accusations that you've given me. What the hell has happened to James Charles? He got a um, BBL. A butler, a Brazilian butler. Yeah. No, he didn't. Yeah, no, he didn't. Actually, no, I believe that. Anyway. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, let's do another shot. So, yeah. This shot is an exciting one. So, the brand O'Donnell's, O'Donnell's Moonshine, kindly sent us some alcohol, which we're going to feature more, I think, in the following episode. But they also sent us some little shots to try. So, they make this like alcohol that's based off like American moonshining. Yeah. Um, which is Mo- moonshining. Cool moonshining? <laughs> moonshine but i I, moonshining (laughs) yeah as like someone who one of my favorite games is red dead redemption 2 and like the moonshines because that's based in like the kind of wild west thing so like moonshine is a real thing in that game where i'm just like oh this is something so like it is and they i want to say wholesome (laughs) mostly because i saw a video the other day and hannah you won't understand this because i'm sure do you know what red dead redemption is a shooting game Kind of, but like cowboys. But someone on TikTok made a video saying that Red Dead Redemption is a cozy game, the same way that like Stardew or Animal Crossing is. And I'm like, you know what? I see it because yes, you can shoot people, but there's also a lot of like going around, gathering supplies and like hunting and like providing for your like camp and like trimming your beard hair and stuff like that. I'm like, you lost me at trimming your beard hair, but okay. Well, it's looking after your character, you know, choosing how your character looks. I'm like Red Dead Redemption is a cozy game. 
where you can also hijack trains by shooting people. It's true. And also there's moonshine. Anyway, we're now Red Red Redemption 2 podcast. (laughs) Yeah, they also send them in these like adorable tiny mason jars. (laughs) It's very cute. I want that mason jar to be my child. Yeah. Like I want to have it inside me and give birth to it. You've taken it too far. Can I borrow the jar afterwards? (laughs) I did say I'd give you two of them because they sent us five. Okay, I'm going to give birth. Okay, I'll link it in the description because this brand is cute and they kindly, very kindly, sent us stuff for free, which is always nice when it's alcohol. Anyway, you chose Dicky Toffee. Yeah, I did because it sounds good. Wait, I don't know why I reached out to I don't know why you took that from me. (laughs) Oh, that smells good. Ooh, Ooh. That's smooth. Bloody hell. That's really nice. See, this is the thing. I have never in my life bought expensive alcohols. And these aren't like crazy expensive, but they're more than I'd normally spend. Yeah. That's fucking nice. That is. Wow. Like it still burns, but in a not in good like, way. Not in you feel like you're stripping your throat kind of way. Wait till we try the big boy. Probably. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is... That was pleasant. Like, I want to do another one kind of pleasant. Wow. No, I've, like, just gone in for the, like, tea drop. That's really nice. Wow. Do we need to start buying expensive alcohol? I don't know. Or maybe it's just a drop. That's left a good taste in my mouth. I've enjoyed that so much. Yeah. I now feel like we're saying that because they sent us to it for free. No, but, like, like, genuinely. I'm just surprised because, like, literally the last shot, I was like, oh, I hate shots so much. And that was good yeah wow so snape claims that he stayed at hogwarts basically after voldemort fell because it was a comfortable job this man hates children Mm. and says that hogwarts (laughs) was a comfort how can it be a comfortable job if you hate children as someone that hates children if i had a job where i got paid to be mean to children I would enjoy that a That's lot. That's the thing, he can never be fired, so he is kind of in the yeah. perfect situation. Like, they kind of always just have tenure, all of them. <laughs> yeah, but Snape especially, because he'll be yeah, killed yeah. if he no, goes I anywhere know. else. I know, but like... And he does get I... bed, board, uh, food for free, mm. including in his yeah. salary. My thing is, I do, I do genuinely, because I, for a while, considered becoming a teacher. And I love teaching, genuinely. It's one of my favourite things. Mm. I don't know why, but like I did so much better in my exams that I taught my friends for. That's like if I if I revise by teaching my friends because I was really good at sociology and I had a bunch of friends that weren't. Yeah. So I taught them all and those I always like did better in those exams. Yeah. Like I love teaching. I love explaining things. I'm told a lot that I'm very good at explaining things in like a very simplified way. I'm not just like tooting my own horn. Like genuinely it's something that I have been told a lot in my life. I love teaching. I love like the giving of information, explaining things, finding ways to explain things. I love it. I hate children. <laughs> maybe you should teach adults. Yeah, maybe. Like become a university professor. Like I think I would enjoy that. I always tell my dad that he should do that because he bloody loves giving a lecture. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So maybe Snape's like, I love, I love the teaching. He doesn't love the teaching. He's a bad teacher. He I hate the students. In, he writes instructions on the board, then doesn't tell them anything. Yeah. Yeah. And He's they're like terrible. wrong. He knows better instructions. Oh yeah. And he tells them the wrong ones. Yeah. 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 No, I know. But I, so I'm just saying, I don't know. I would enjoy you, bullying children. You see children. how Snape could do that. Yeah. He was then able to pass 
16 years of... So he's like, I stayed because I was comfortable and I could pass 16 years of information back. Yeah, and the most savage part, he calls Bella (laughs) being in prison for 16 years a nice gesture. (laughs) This is so good from him. I hate Snape, but this is so good. Good. It's so... But it is like, what did you give him? Oh, you're in prison? You're, well done. It's a really, it's a really, really nice, nice gesture, gesture that you went crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's like, literally, I hate Snape, but this is just so good. It's so, like, patronising, yep. like, conniving, it's like, two-faced. Per- like, oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. So we kind of find out, which I hadn't put together before, that Dumbledore gave Snape the job when he switched sides. So Dumbledore gave this man a job age 21 to protect him because you can't really be harmed at Hogwarts. Which A, he gave a man a job at 21. B, we now have two incompetent teachers that he hired during that year just so he could bring them into his personal protection. My dude, this is a school. And for all you know, Voldemort wouldn't have come back for 50 years and you just had two incompetent teachers, Snape and Trelawney, running around teaching them a load of bullshit so that you could bring people into your protection. Yeah. Also, I know we don't really see into it, but it hardly seems like the school is struggling for money. Like, how the fuck is this funded, for a start? But, like... It's government-funded. It's a government-funded school. Yeah, but we never even find that out. We never hear anything about taxes. But, like, anyway... Regardless, like, it doesn't seem like a school struggling for... It's the one school. (laughs) There is one school. It is fine. Yeah. Financially. Yeah. You could have, like, normal schools, especially with that volume... Okay, can we talk about how that doesn't even work? I know that we debate the (laughs) amount of students that are... I know, don't get triggered. Don't bring out your your spreadsheets. I've got a spreadsheet. (laughs) But, like, teachers. There is one teacher... Per subject. No, that doesn't make sense. Transfiguration, there has to be three teachers. There has to be. Yeah. It does not make any sense. We know that the time turners were destroyed. And even if they weren't, that's not a healthy way to run things. But like, there must be more than one teacher. So at least, fair enough. If you have like one incompetent teacher and then one more or two more or three more like all schools have incompetent teachers i had some fucking incompetent teachers. Yeah, oh my god. My English teacher for my A-levels... For, like, the first, like, term. Well, not first term, but, you know, your first, like, before you do your first... I can't remember. I think it must have been AS, or maybe it was A2, I can't remember. But basically, there were, like, two different English lit classes. Sure. One with one teacher, one with the sure, other. standard, yeah. And our first exam that we did, every single person, aside from one person... Oh, God, ...in failed. my class failed. Yeah. And not just failed, but spectacularly And, like, everyone else in the other class just did, like, normal. Like, the majority of them, like, passed, got good grades, fine. Every single person, aside from one in my class, got, like, severe failing grades. That person should be fired. (laughs) Yeah, but you can't fire teachers here. We literally... We... My textiles teacher could not speak English. And I'm not just... I'm not saying that. Charlie's whipping out her xenophobia. (laughs) No, no, no. Like... She couldn't speak English. And she was also, like, so inappropriate with students and stuff. And, like, literally the school were really open about, yeah, we want to fire her, but, like, we we can't. She literally, she used to base your mark, your, like, 
work on how it would look like aesthetically and i know you're thinking oh it's textiles yes of course how the clothes look no 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 we had essays to write (laughs) and we used to have to write them in like a big like is it like a2 you know those big art books you won't know you went to a fucking grammar school i did an art degree but yeah you know those big like portfolio ones yes i do we weren't allowed to type them we had to hand write essays (laughs) and she used to literally prep us by being like you need to make it as visual as possible this needs to look like beautiful needs to have loads of images and stuff because she couldn't read english (laughs) she could literally barely speak it i promise i'm not being xenophobic this is god's honest (laughs) truth and like literally like she would you would hand in an essay and to hand in she would basically go around the class sitting with each student for a couple of minutes so nowhere near enough time that she could read like you couldn't read in that time and she literally would flick through just like really quickly like looking at how visual the pages looked of how many pictures how neat your handwriting was if you used fucking highlighters and then we'd give you your grade and be like, oh, this is like a B, this is like an A. Sounds like the easiest Le- A-level ever. Just make your own pages look pretty. Yeah, but like you would research like entire essays and she would literally just like flick through really, really quickly. And you'd be like, what? And then in the end, because I realised that like, actually, no, sorry, correction. This wasn't A-levels. This was GCSE. I just remembered. I obviously didn't take it for A-level. This was GCSE, but still bad. Really, really bad. She wouldn't read them. And then literally, I never even handed in my coursework because I was like, this is a heap of shit i'm not learning anything i have more important subjects than fucking textiles so i didn't hand my thing in and she literally came up to me like the day after like hand in she was like you've not handed in your coursework and i was like which was supposed to be like a finished like sewn thing and i and i didn't hand it in because i was like i can't you haven't taught me anything but she came up to me the day after hand in it was like charlotte you didn't hand in your like coursework and i was like i know like I'm sorry, like, I can't. Like, I literally can't. So, like, it's fine. Just fail me. Did you I passed. Fail? Oh, she lied. And this is the thing. The One of the only reasons, because they all wanted to fire her, and one of the only reasons that they couldn't, they were like, well, technically everyone passes. Yeah, because she lied. She literally lied. She said that I handed my coursework in that I never handed in. Wow. She lied to the exam board. <laughs> so I, I Now we all I, know Charlie has a fake GCSE, yeah, everyone. I have a GCSE in textiles that I did not earn. I hope she gave you a C at least. Yeah, no, she did. Okay. But like, I still passed when I didn't do the work. That's so funny. Anyway, yeah, she was literally incompetent also she was obsessed the only music that she would listen to was you know when the x factor was really big and they used to release those like cds of all the x factor like covers yes that's all the music she listened to and we used to just sit in her her classes because she wouldn't teach so she would literally just hand us like fabric patterns and like go so well she wouldn't hand us them like we had to buy them and then she would just put on these x factor cover cds and we would just have to work out the patterns for ourselves. So maybe it isn't unrealistic that Dumbledore has got two of the most crazy incompetent teachers running around ever. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, this is fine. Yeah. So then we get onto the explanation of, I called it Philosopher's Stone X Snape. And this is explained away in a way that doesn't really make, like, it just about makes mm-hmm. sense. Like, J.K. Rowling is walking the I think when she wrote Philosopher's Stone, she didn't know everything she wanted to do with Snape because she's kind of like, yeah, Voldemort didn't trust Snape enough to come out to him and Snape thought Quirrell was just some selfish guy. I'm like, 
And I, I don't know. I think it makes sense. Like at this point, like how many years would he have been? Like thirteen uh, years. Yeah. He would have been. I definitely can see from Voldemort's point of view that you would think either either he was a double agent the whole time, either he's like crossed over, or just after all of these years he's comfortable and wouldn't be asked. Yeah. Because that's the thing, he might believe did it back in the day, but now he's old and settled, is he going to be... So I definitely think that you would be reluctant to reveal yourself. Yeah. It, it does make... It walks the line a bit, but it does make sense. Mm. Snape then claims he allowed Dumbledore to think he went to Voldemort under under his orders. So we're now talking about book four and Snape is saying he wanted to go to Voldemort straight away but stayed two hours, just two hours because it allowed Dumbledore to think that Dumbledore was ordering Snape to go to Voldemort. So now as the reader you're like, is this man a double or triple agent? And by yeah. the time we start getting into triple agent stuff, it gets fucking confusing. I'm like, wait, yeah. what is a triple yeah. agent but not this, an agent? This <laughs> is for me where it doesn't make sense from Bellatrix's point of view, because she just kind of accepts this. She doesn't argue. And this is so easy to argue against, to be like, yeah, or you could have been waiting because you knew that, Vo- that Dumbledore... That was the shot. We haven't got any in the room. We can add it to the list. Not tonight. I can't do, I can't do five shots tonight. No. Come on. Dumbledore, like, of course, like, you had to wait for the orders. Like, it doesn't work. Like, no. she could so easily have argued against this. Yeah. No, definitely not. And then she blames him for not turning up, but Snape claims Voldemort ordered... Wait, what did my notes say? Does that count as a shot? I did stop myself. I don't I said... Know. Well... <laughs> I don't know. The listeners can decide. Oh, God. Okay, yeah, the listeners can decide. They'll decide, yes. And then Snape shuts down Bellatrix and all her arguments by basically being like, Voldemort doesn't tell you everything. And Bellatrix like, she tells me everything. And Snape's like, no, he doesn't. And she gets very, very butthurt about this. Yeah, but little did Snape know they were doing it. No, they weren't. According to Voldemort Kirst. doesn't have sex. According to no, Kirst. it's not canon though is it no it's not so then we get to what i think is the most interesting bit of the chapter and one of the most interesting things about snape's character which i have never thought about before and i have heard other people mentioning it and i've been kind of resisting looking into it because i knew we'd get to it at some point snape claims his information that he has been passing to voldemort led to the murder of emmeline vance which we read about in chapter one Mm -hmm. number one question Is this true? Is it Snape's information that led to her murder? Number two, did he have to give Voldemort something? Was Voldemort basically saying, you're not giving me any information. If you don't give me any information, you're not a spy. And number three, therefore, was this passing of this one bit of information sanctioned by Dumbledore as for the greater good? Was this the sacrifice to be able to keep Snape as a spy? We yeah. never get answered to these questions as far as I know. And this is what makes it dark as fuck. Because did Snape go behind Dumbledore's back and go, I have to give something otherwise my cover's gonna go blow gonna be blown? No. I think if anything, Dumbledore was in on this and went, yeah. This is the sacrifice I am willing to make. I am willing to make yeah. this let this woman be killed. Yeah, I think so. And it's re- we criticise Dumbledore a lot and I definitely think that he does things that he didn't need to do at certain points in the books, but this is one of those things. It's really brutal, but it's correct. Like, if that one life will ultimately help save many, many more, in my opinion, it's correct. But then it's, is it? Because what, 
I was about to say, what lives does Snape save? Snape saves everyone's lives at the end of book seven. Mm. And if we're talking specifics, he doesn't let the Death Eaters attack the rest of the children at the end of Half-Blood Prince. He technically saves George's life by cursing off his ear. Yeah. It was a deflection of a killing curse. So leaving Snape as the spy does save lives. But Emmeline Vance wouldn't have been in on this. And as far as we as the reader know, it doesn't matter too much because she's just some person that's in the order. Mm. But she is a person with a life who has chosen mm. to be in the order. Yeah, and, and Dumbledore's a- essentially gone, who is my least favourite? Who can I spare? Yeah. Which is gross. It's disgusting. And I kind of hate that it isn't explored at all, unless I'm forgetting something. Yeah. No, I don't think it is. But I guess the thing is, it's it's not even about, at this point, and this is really brutal, but it's not even about the long term, this one life will save however many more. Yeah. But at this point, if Voldemort found out that Snape was a spy, Snape would die. So at yeah. this point, it's about Snape's life or someone else's life. Yeah. And therefore, which member of the order is the most disposable? Yeah, it's is the most valuable. Yeah, so, the most valuable versus the most disposable. And it's Snape if he's a spy realistically. So I guess it comes down to these two lives. But then there is also the added point of Snape along the line will save more. Yeah. And what, what I love and what frustrates me is this ties so well into Dumbledore's character of the greater good and the seventh book's overarching question of what is the right amount of greater good. Harry questions this. Mm. There is an amount of greater good that even Harry sacrifices. Harry is not, nothing is worth it. Every yeah. life deserves to be saved. Harry does things for the greater good. Nowhere near to the extent Dumbledore does. Yeah. Because we know that Dumbledore thinks some some massive things and a lot of lives are worth it for the greater good. But it annoys me that this death is not explored mm. in what Snape and Dumbledore believe to be the right amount of greater good. Yeah, and also in terms of Dumbledore's conscience of he's a se- essentially selected someone to die. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, it is interesting. Dark, I, had, I hadn't picked up on that before at yeah. all. That is really brutal. God, can you imagine if it's not... Well, no, it isn't because the text doesn't say it and it probably would. But what if it's a full-on thing where Dumbledore went to Emmeline and said... You're gone, bitch! Gotta die. (laughs) You know when you didn't compliment my new earmuffs the other month? Well! Cut you out. (laughs) Bye-bye. Yeah. Maybe he went, eeny, meeny, miny, (laughs) moe. We learn that many of the Death Eaters thought that Harry would be the next Voldemort or the next Dark Lord. Yeah. Which, have we learned that information before? I I don't think so, no. That's an interesting, weird tidbit. tidbit. I mean, yeah, like, you you can see that... I mean, it's like, wow, this baby was so, so powerful. Such a powerful baby. I don't know why I started to speak like Anna Delvey there. Such a powerful baby. Yeah, but why is Chad swearing now? (laughs) (laughs) That's quite an impression. Why are you being so dramatic? (laughs) Anyone that hasn't seen that and doesn't know who Anna Delvey is is going to be like, what? Why are they being racist against Germans again? Germans slash Russians. Yeah. Snape then then is like does his classic Harry Potter's nothing special he's a blah 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 but in that whole speech of him slagging Harry off he says he's got by by having more talented friends and I'm like 
So Hermione. Which other yeah. friends are you talking? What other friends are more Ron talented? Ron is not than more talented. Ron's not more talented. Well, Ginny's more talented, but she's only come in in the last week. It's Hermione. You're talking about Hermione. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Snape mentions that Dumbledore is growing old, and even before the injury he's just sustained, his reflexes were becoming slower, and the fight scared him, crippled him a bit, like, mm. like made his reflexes slower. So then we get to like the crux of what is happening after all this arguing. Voldemort Words. has given. Draco, we learn it's Draco, a task. And he has told Narcissa she can't tell anyone. It's a secret. And she's absolutely terrified, doesn't know what to do. So has come to Snape for help, even though she shouldn't. It's like an episode of Taskmaster. (laughs) It's like that episode where that one guy, can't remember who it was, had to send, oh God, what's his name? The large man? Greg James. What? Greg Greg Davies. Davies. So many Gregs. So many Gregs had to send Greg Davies a cheeky text every night for like six months. Oh, that was months. so good, yeah. And then that, he made a little book of all the cheeky texts. Yeah, that's actually the task that Voldemort gave uh, Draco, that he has to send uh, a, cheeky text. a cheeky text to cheeky Dumbledore howl. every single night. Yep. So we learned the plan concerns Draco because Narcissus is like, my son, my son. And Bellatrix is like, it's a great honour. The task is avoided. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so spectacularly to the point where it's completely unrealistic, but they have to do it for the way this chapter for works. For the drama. Um, Narcissa believes that this task is punishment for Lucius's mistake in the ministry. So the fact that all the Death Eaters got captured and the kids got away. And she doesn't believe that Draco can do it because even Voldemort has not succeeded in this task and Bellatrix is really shocked that she said this and this is where like the hints for what's going to happen at the end of book seven and I think J.K. Rowling definitely knew that Narcissa was going to be the crux of the end of book seven because like Narcissa doesn't believe in Voldemort or really his cause that much like yes mm. she believes that Muggleborns are scum and that pure blood wizards are better she does believe in that ideal ideology but she's not devoted to Voldemort. She doesn't care that she has made him a promise, which is like as good as being dead if you break it. And she also doesn't believe he's necessarily the most powerful wizard in the world. She believes that she's talking about Dumbledore. Yeah. Because Voldemort hasn't managed to defeat him. She's not devoted to him like the others are. And he's re- Voldemort is really foolish to believe that she is devoted and going to keep this secret and going to be loyal to him just because she's married to Lucius. And this is where, I mean, the whole point of this whole thing with Narcissa is Voldemort never understands love. Yeah. Like, this is the whole point. But, like, he almost understands love in the way that, oh, she's married to Lucius, who really believes in my cause, so she will too, but doesn't understand that her love for Draco... A, supersedes that, and B, just because she's married to Lucius doesn't mean she believes in his cause. Yeah, she's still a whole-ass individual. Exactly. He never sees her as a whole-ass individual. No. It's so good. It's good. It's good shit. It is really good. Um, Random little side note. I really like that in this thing it's kind of like Bella, Sissa. It's a very, like, girly, innocent nicknames for two actual racists. Yeah. But that fits because you know when you meet really posh people? Yeah. Really posh people. And none of them call each other by their real name. No. They're like, oh, Tofty and Lottie. Bunty. It, 
And this annoys me. I, I like the name Lottie. And as a Charlotte, I pretty much... As a Charlotte that hates the name Charlotte, I had the choice between Charlie and Lottie. And I'm like, I love the name Lottie. I, I think do. it's really nice sounding. Yeah. Can't have I'm it. too posh yep. to be called Lottie. Yes, you are. Without sounding like that girl. That girl. Yeah. But it's fine because, I mean, even being called Charlie was not my choice. So, like, it's what happened. But I'm like, basically, I would have encouraged people at some point in my life to start calling me Lottie where they're not connotations. Connotations. Yeah. Yeah, what you just said reminded me of that bit in Miranda where she's reeling off the girls' nicknames from yeah. school and it's like, Bunty London, da 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 But it's a thing. Yeah. With, like, super and it's like all the people. TikToks now as well where they oh, like pistachio. do... pistachio! Yeah. <laughs> so like, oh, Macruci... I can't even say it. Macruccio, like, yeah, just like bollocks. I mean, it's like the, um, my mum knows a family where the child is called Beowulf. No, no, she doesn't. No, she does. But they're called such posh names because no children are ever called by their names. They're called by some random nickname because of something they did. Tilly. That's not a nickname. No, but just Tilly is a posh little cutesy like Sissa. So we learn that whatever this task is, Voldemort intends Snape to do whatever this task is if Draco fails and is killed. And Narcissa is just losing her shit. She's like, he is going to fail and he is going to be killed. And she's like fully yeah. just, which to be fair, it is her only child. Like it's absolutely a fair enough reaction. Yeah. And Snape's basically like, not only do I know what the thing is, but I think that Voldemort intends me to do it all along. Ha 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 ha. Okay, he's so French like, suddenly. He's French. So Snape, we're gonna we're gonna find this out in book seven, and I know we are, and I've been avoiding reading this bit because I've forgotten a lot of the details. But Snape and Dumbledore must have had a conversation where they knew this was coming mm-hmm. before Narcissa came to Snape's house because he agrees to the unbreakable vow. He is a little bit nervous about it, but he agrees to it. So they must have already had a conversation about this. So the order must have gone. Dumbledore enters his hand and is like, hmm, lol, this is going to kill me. Or just before that, or around the same time, Voldemort gives Draco the task of killing Dumbledore. So mm. Dumbledore's like, haha, perfect. I'm going to die within a year anyway. And I don't want to ruin that boy's innocence. I'll ruin this man's innocence who yeah. he doesn't have any innocence because he's a shitbag. And then this unbreakable vow is just con- kind of convenient lock-in. Yeah, uh, how I picture it going making sense in my head is that Dumbledore injures his hand. He knows that he's going to die. And then he doesn't specifically know how it's going to happen, but he basically says to Snape, more than likely at some point, you are going to have to prove your dedication by killing me. Yeah, He is, at the end of the day, in Voldemort's eyes, his right-hand man that is right closest to... Right closest to Dumbledore. Yeah, because in Voldemort's mind, it's like, why else are you placed at the school if at yeah, some yeah, yeah. point you're not going to do the ultimate task? Yeah, to kill him. So Dumbledore basically, in my eyes, says to Snape, at some point you're probably going to be challenged to prove that you're going to do this. Yeah. Therefore, blah, blah, blah. And and maybe there was an element of guessing how exactly it would go down. But I think more than likely it was saying, at some point you're probably going to have to promise that you will kill me. So you've got you've got to do it. Yeah. And maybe specifically he knew about Draco, but I can't remember at this point. 
I think it does get brought up in the flashbacks in book seven. So yeah, we'll find out. We will Don't see. Don't tell us. Don't tweet us. Uh, I love how we're like we're such experts on the book. We've forgotten major details. Mm-hmm. It really is the perfect deception. That whole plan. Yeah, it's a brilliant plan. It's a fantastic plan from Dumbledore. It's his greatest plan. Yeah, but I mean, it hinges on him touching the ring accidentally. Well, not accidentally, but you know, it does. He didn't intend to die before that. Idiot. He he was. He was really, like, capitalising on that moment. He was making the best of a bad situation. He really was. So Narcissa then is like, hey, make the unbreakable vow. This is something we've never heard of in the books before, but fine, we're mm-hmm. here now. Yep. And in this moment, I feel like, so we see these moments of Snape's hesitation. We see his handshake. We see him be like, he, like, hesitates before saying. And I think it's because even though he's already had these discussions with Dumbledore, it hasn't felt real to him. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I, yeah, he said I have to do it, but... At the end of the day, this is my protector. Dumbledore's kind of his only friend. Like, they're not really friends, but it's kind yeah. It's the only person who knows the full story, the true story, everything about him. Everyone in the world will hate or hates this man. Yeah. Dumbledore's the only person that knows and has said, lol, you have to kill me. And I feel like, even though Dumbledore has said this, Snape's like, yeah, okay. And making the unbreakable vow locks him into doing it. So that's why yeah. we get these moments of hesitation. So the unbreakable vow gets made, Snape will watch over protect him and then carry out the deed i'm like you i feel like in an unbreakable vow you have to be specific how does the spell know what the deed is like it's they're just really skirting around the deed at this point yeah that's the thing because i kind of when they were like doing the whole thing and like yeah going through it i was like this is like so vague it's very complicated magic and i kind of view it in the same way that you know when you make a wish to a genie and there's like the whole yeah i often do that yeah all the time i've got this one vase right (laughs) but like no but like there's that whole thing about how a genie will intentionally try and misinterpret like make your wish go wrong you've got to be really specific and i'm kind of like admittedly we don't learn a lot of the laws of magic in harry potter but with this i'm like surely this has to be airtight because if it's like literally if you don't do this thing you will die surely there can be no room for interpretation bargaining where's the court like so okay you don't do this thing but you've been really vague about it what's deciding here exactly it's way too vague yeah way too vague and does it have to be three like they make it sound like it has to be three because one goes around here and one goes around here and one goes around the middle. So you have to have a three-part promise. <laughs> yeah, it's like what if you only had two things to promise? It's like I promise that I, I will do the other two things. <laughs> no, but like I promise that I will give my life for you. I promise that I will not let anyone harm you. I promise that I will buy you a happy meal from <laughs> McDonald's. Like. You don't have a third thing. Yeah, absolutely. I really hope that wasn't magically legally binding. (laughs) No, we weren't touching. Um, And then the chapter finishes with them describing the way the spell looks. And I really like the way it says like a rope, like a fiery snake. I like the repetition of like a like a because the fire ties us into the end of the book with with the inferi and the snake symbolism begins to come in because in this book we learn that the snake is a horcrux tying yeah. Voldemort to life and this is some very good symbolism it's nice it's nice it's good shit noise and that is the end of the chapter Coy I day. did not many make many notes in the chapter for us to speak for such a long time that's always the way it is always it's a really good chapter it is it's like I an underrated chapter I would say 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Mm-hmm. Um, all everything, the things that we mentioned will be in the description. Yep. We also have a question to answer, I believe. Oh, good. How exciting. So this question is from Carter who says, so what do y'all, y'all think about shifting realities to Hogwarts and Draco Cot- uh, talk dot 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 etc dot question mark? I would love to know y'all's opinion on it. Okay, Sorry, Carter- I, ha- I have to say y'all whenever an American types y'all. Also, this is something that Hannah has like tried to talk to me and explain also, to me many times. Also, it really annoys me that you've asked this as a question at the end of the episode because I have it in my notes as a season eight thing. Think we of- can go into more detail in season yeah. eight. I'm going to give like a small amount of detail here and then, but yeah, I want to do it like a deeper dive on it. So the Draco talk thing, I found it really interesting that Draco Malfoy is the character that always blows up on social, no matter the platform. Mm. So like there's basically more fan fictions about Draco yeah. than any other character yeah. because it's Draco, Harry, Draco, Although Hermione. Draco talk has some relevance because of Tom Felton being active on the platform. But it started before him. Yeah, but he still he he fanned the fire. He definitely did. He definitely did. But I do find it interesting that it is always Draco that blows up on the social platforms, and I think that's just like, I think a lot, and and historically, even before Tom Felton joined the platform, it has to do with that because Tom Felton makes it a more sympathetic character than he was in the books. And I've been trying to like think about it recently because I basically posted a TikTok ranting about. Draco Hermione. Yeah, Hermione. Hermione. Ranting about how I understand it as like an exploration, but I'm confused at people who think, who wanted it to be real and wanted it to be endgame. And some, there were some really intelligent replies I got. Like, and one lady like messaged me privately, sent me a load of videos. And she was basically saying that although Draco did get a redemption in the books, it felt like it only just begun. And a lot of the fan fictions kind of exist so that that, redemption can be explored in full yeah i mean it's i think that's a really good point yeah it is one of the many dropped started storylines the same as the one we most often go on about the whole slavery thing with the house elves she restarted so many things that she was like yeah i'm gonna tackle this and then she went it can't be asked i actually think draco got enough of a redemption for me to be comfortable in the books and enough I mean, was set up that I can imagine how he was in the future. But I do see how those imaginings for me become like full on exploration, fan fiction, and Draco talk and go into all of that for I other can people. see how that happens. For me, he doesn't get nearly enough. Mm. Like, what is his redemption? Like, he's still in the last book in the battle scene. He's still with Crab Goyle Boyle, yeah. and Crab, like with the whole fiery thing. He's still very much on the bad side then. There's like his weird uncertainty at the end. That's it. There's there's no real... That's the thing. It kind of annoys me that it was pulled back right at the end. And we'll talk about it in book seven. But I feel like the crux of the redemption was in the Malfoy Manor scene when he refused to identify Hermione yeah. and Harry. But then that it gets retconned. A, it gets retconned because that to me is an incredible moment. Of course you recognise them. Yeah. Of course he recognised them. But then, yeah, he like, although in the text it's Crab and Goyle trying to murder Hermione and setting the room on fire, Draco's still going along with them. Yeah. So like, yeah, it does get retconned a bit. Yeah. So yeah, like Draco talk, I just find it funny that Draco is always the one that blows up on social media. Like Draco was like the crux of Harry Potter yeah. Tumblr when that was a thing. Yeah. And like, I get it. It's hot. 
everyone loves a bad boy. I've spoken before about how there was a particular piece of Germani fanfic when I was very young mm. that was like very formative yeah. for me. Really wish I could find it. I'm like convinced of this. My thing is, you I'm know, like, fanatical fics do this. Like they ask for people to find things. And no, they no, do but I down. don't have enough memories. All um, I really remember was there being a scene with them making out in a hot like hallway of Hogwarts. Yeah, that's, that's not, not enough. No, but like, and I'm pretty sure that's all it was. It wasn't. I didn't read like the properly filthy stuff. I was like a very like filthy. Yeah, but I was like a very different teenager to the to the adult that I am. But like. Yeah, like, I, I don't know. Like, I get it. It's hot. Everyone loves a bad boy. It's very sexy. Do I actually ship it? No. No. And then shifting. Yeah. Shifting, you've, I find fascinating. You've explained this to me before. Yes. But I've never actually seen it for myself, which so is wild. So it's never come up on your For You page. No, which is wild because we have the same For You page. And this is genuinely crazy. And particularly our, like, our podcast TikTok, which, by the way, if you don't follow us on TikTok, we make great TikToks. Go follow it's us. Really like, good. genuinely, that's not even a plug. Like, there's, you like the podcast, you like our TikTok. It's more of the same. But, like, I try and tailor that so that we get served Harry Potter content on there. I've still never got the shifting thing. But this is, like, this is so interesting to me. I really wish that I had it because back in the days of, like, tumblr and i don't even know what corners of the internet i was on i was like fascinated with the whole um lucid dreaming thing right like also particularly because like i have night terrors sometimes and like i have lucid dreams before but i was that i was that like tumblr bitch sleeping with rose quartz under me my pillow because i read a tumblr post saying it helped you lucid dream like yeah i would actively do things like i would go to sleep trying to lucid dream and i'm just and i feel like shifting is kind of like in the same vein it's not just the same vein okay anyone that tries to tell you and i'm sorry if you're one of these people but i genuinely am a bit concerned for you if you believe shifting is real people who claim that shifting is real claims you claim you are actually going to a different reality and during that time your body is like frozen in the same place and you're actually going to a different reality no but they claim this because it feels so real it feels so real because what they're describing is lucid dreaming shifting is just the tiktok term for lucid dreaming yeah and, and anyone who actually believe i'm so it's not okay yeah. it's i've d actually done the research into it and not only have i done the research into it i was so fascinated by the whole thing i have tried it and i've never lucid dreamed before so i haven't managed it because it is something you have to train yourself into if you can't naturally do it and part of me would like to try it one day but also it takes like a lot of work to get into it and i already struggle to sleep enough as it is and i really don't want to fuck myself up more in yeah. terms of my sleeping schedules and patterns yeah also i've never intentionally lucid dreamed and i could not tell you the last time that i have lucid dreams okay so but it's not something you want to do because the like line between lucid dreaming and like sleep paralysis night terrors yeah is not even a wafer thin and you you don't no, you don't want that. And here's the thing that worries me is that a lot of people got into Hogwarts shifting, which is essentially forcing yourself to lucid dream specifically about being in Hogwarts. A lot of people got this rose massively in popularity, like all the popularity of it came from during the pandemic, which I completely understand, especially for the TikTok generation who are slightly younger than us, who were forced out of all their social norms, all the things that they were meant to be doing, finishing school, going to university. 
And the world was fucking terrifying and horrible. But what worries me is then it's this crux of leaning on the fact that you you want to escape to a reality world which is better than the one you live in, which is true. Like, obviously, the world we live in is shit right now. But then it, be- it becomes this thing of it's dangerous for people's mental health if they would rather be yeah. in a state of shifting or lucid dreaming than being in the real world. Yeah. And that's what... That's what I find so fascinating about this whole thing is whenever people mention it, it's brushed off as a TikTok thing and not enough actual mental health professionals are looking into this and talking about this, that this is really, if you're, if you're someone, if you're an adult who's doing this in just a a safe way, then I think that's absolutely fine. And if you understand that shifting is not shifting, it's lucid dreaming. I think that is absolutely fine. But what worries me is the encouragement of 13 and 14 year olds to be doing this. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think like, I mean, there's like a whole kind of group of like a very large group of people that talk about Harry Potter in a way, you know, that there's that kind of whole mentality right now, especially because of JK Rowling of people being like, just read another book and talking about how Harry Potter isn't actually that good, blah, blah, blah. And yes, it's not that good. JK Rowling in the grand scheme of things is not anything special in terms of her writing ability. I could not agree more. I do think that if that's your argument to be to tell people to just abandon Harry Potter because she's a turf, you're misunderstanding completely because you're misunderstanding the fact that it's about the community yeah. and the fandom. Like, I completely agree that Harry Potter in itself as a series, yes, it is very good. There are infinite things way better than it. Yeah. But the these kind of people, that that's kind of a tangent. These kind of people that say that, I've also seen similar things being like, Harry Potter isn't that good. It's just that you were, you know, like a lonely teenager with not many friends or like in a bad home situation, like essentially saying you loved it this much because it was your form of escapism, which I'm like, which I'm like, yes, funnily enough that you should bring that up, which is exactly why you shouldn't be telling people that they have to abandon it or they're a bad person. Yeah, that's Um, a horrible (laughs) thing to say to people who use this as a comfort people, especially because the vast, a lot, a high proportion of the people who use it as a comfort blanket were LGBTQIA plus themselves because they were the ones rejected by their families or their schools. Exactly, which is why it's up to the individual about whether or not they want to continue to participate. And as much as we encourage not participating with your coin... I think taking place in the fandom, the community in general is fine. But anyway, this is the exact kind of thing where it's like people use Harry Potter as escapism. They always have. They always will. They will always use like general like fiction of any kind, of any kind, particularly fantasy, I think lends itself to this as a form of escapism but if people back in the day were reading it and watching it as a form of escapism from whatever problems their real life has then this shifting thing obviously is going to capitalize on that massively and yeah it's entirely not healthy to lose a dream and and you know think it's real or kid yourself that you think it's real and i also think that like a lot of these people that are saying it's real they will never have even lucid dreamed it happening like i'm sorry as teenagers you went onto the internet and lied i lied about so much as a teenager on the internet like 
including like lucid dreaming shit like I lucid dreamed a few times mostly when I was very ill and it normally led me into night terrors it was not something that I could consciously control but yes when it was a phase on tumblr I would go on tumblr because I had my gemstones and my tarot cards and I would be like oh my god yeah I lucid dreamed last night because I slept with rose quartz under my pillow no I fucking didn't But like, you're a teenager, you're gonna lie, you're gonna go along with the crowd and you wanna seem really cool and impressive. So there will be all of these people on TikTok being like, oh yeah, I can shift because it's like a trend and it's a form of escapism and like, they want that like validation from other people. But like, it's it's not real, they're not doing it. But then it makes other people think, oh, I have to do this or if I can't do this, there's something wrong with me. There's just so many layers to fuck up. And like, and this is the thing, if you could tell me tomorrow that I could have some injection and I could go to sleep forever and just be in some like wizarding fantastical world, Harry Potter or regardless, I'd be like, yeah, fucking right there. Do it, do it, bitch. But like, it's not real. Yeah, and this is the thing, I don't want this to come across as shaming the people who are no. into this sort of thing no, because no, no. I completely understand the rise in it. I was watching it happen during COVID, which... If, as I, a, if I was 13, 14 right now, I would be even into this. 17. You, you're no yeah. longer in school. You've lost the opportunity to go to university. Yeah. Like, I completely understand because, and I completely understand... Or even if I was this age right now, but I didn't have the support system support that system. I do. I can completely understand it because right now I have a very good support system. But if COVID had happened during the time that I was... Like, some periods I went through when I was like 16 or 17, I would be trying to do mm-hmm. these things. And that yeah but this is why i find it so fascinating because it's such a niche it's seen as a niche internet thing when i'm like somebody needs to look into these things yeah but yeah also just on like the the more like non-judgy notes of it yes i have watched and listened to like the hour-long videos that like get you ready for shifting into hogwarts and seen some of the tiktoks that like get you ready for shifting into hogwarts and incredible creativity very absorbing into the world like well like yeah lovelyly made things well done but yeah. yeah so you say this now i do kind of want to give one of those videos a try out oh, of no, curiosity I've given it. yeah i've given it a go yeah but i feel safe in the knowledge that if if i did manage to like lucid dream and things like that a i know it's lucid dreaming and b i'm more seeing it as like a experiment of kind of anyway yeah mm. i'd give it a go yeah but that's because i know you have like a, a good support system and are comfortable doing that but also we both struggle with sleep issues so i don't want us to do it <laughs> so true <laughs> so true, so true. Bestie. <laughs> yeah so yeah thank you that for was that. a great question that was a great question and there's so much more to go into this than this and i specifically want to do an episode on draco talk and draco fan fiction ideally with both the fanatical fix girls for season eight because it's such a deep topic but thank you so much that was a really really great question it really was and that is the end of this quite long episode yep thank you so much for listening yep thank you and once again this episode is dedicated to abby and all of our love goes out to her friends and her family. Yes. And if you're interested in checking out the GoFundMe, that will be linked down below. Yeah. But yeah, thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed and we will see you in the next episode. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Goblet of Wine. To find us on social media, search at Goblet of Wine Pod on Twitter or at Goblet of Wine Podcast on Instagram. We also have a website over at www.gobletofwine.co.uk where you can keep up with everything that we do. This podcast is produced by our wonderful Hufflepuff tier patrons. 
Xander, Samuel, Nick, Lewis, Layla, Catherine, Gillian, Becca, Ashley, Emily, and Alexia. If you'd like to support this podcast, check out our Goblet of Wine Patreon, where you can also gain access to bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes content, and our Discord. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye! Bye.